Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, May 17th. We are here live. We've got a busy day today. We're kicking off the day with the Power Hour. I'll be joined from the team from Pittsburgh Power. I think we've got uh, Bruce and Pete and Leroy. We'll check in with them here in just a minute. And after the Power Hour today, it will be an episode of The Pit. We'll let you know more about that coming right up. Phone lines are open. It looks like calls are already starting to come in. So could be a busy day. Go ahead and line them up. 855 950 3835. Um, we released another version of the app this week. Uh, fixed some things, added some things, probably broke some things. That's how app development goes, but we are getting closer all the time. So I'd love to hear some feedback. I know we have the group online and we get a lot of feedback, but uh, if you've been using the app and you want to share your experience with that, jump in. Uh, I just have something real quick here. Um, I just want to cover this before we get on to the power hour because this is kind of changing every day. There's there's a lot of news coming out right now. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. I cannot believe how many times I have to say this breaks a record about almost everything I'm talking about in the economy lately. And none of these records are good records. They're all bad. Record high fuel prices. We've never seen diesel fuel at this cost ever. Um, Record high inflation. We've never seen anything like this. Record high prices. Uh, Food especially. I'm going to probably talk about that more tomorrow Uh, But in trucking specifically, we are still setting records that are just kind of mind-boggling to me. We just set another record in March. So let's take a look at what is still happening in trucking. Right now, the numbers we're looking at and why this is somewhat confusing, but all the signs point to it being pretty ugly. Uh, Since 2020... We have added 200,000 new carriers since 2020. New authorities, over 200,000. The spot rates are down a dollar a mile right now, and they could drop another 20%. So that's another 40 cents a mile. We're right at about $2 a mile if you don't include fuel surcharge. We're, we didn't drop below $2 a mile, but we're right there on the line down um, a dollar a mile, and there's still some more room for that to drop. Fuel prices are setting record highs, $5.63 a gallon. I think we topped off at, we've pulled back just a little bit from that Uh, But that's another record. In March, 11,000 new carriers just in March. That was an all-time record. Talk about being out of touch with what's happening in the industry and the economy. 
so out of touch that when we are seeing some of the worst conditions ever, we're seeing this turnaround faster than ever, record high fuel prices, rates dropping like a rock, and we've got 11,000 people that think it's a good time to get their authority. That was March. April, another 9,500 in April. I don't think that trend will last, although I'm shocked it's as bad as it is right now. It's, um, it's kind of crazy. So uh, I had some other stuff here. I do want to get to the calls. Uh, I'm not sure... Not sure what we have going on with Pittsburgh Power here. Let me. Um, looks like we might be having some issues on the board in our technology. Um, we are back to playing around with technology again. We had things pretty well set for a while, um, but we want to make sure we're putting out the absolute best we possibly can through this. So we are still testing some new things. Uh, I have some new technology coming today that I'm going to be testing here soon. Uh, so it looks like we might still be um, trying to figure out some sound issues here. You know what? Um, you know what? I'm just going to give it a shot. Let's see. It's like uh, opening a secret box. Is anybody there? I'm here, Kevin. This is Bruce. Oh, well, we've got Bruce Kevin. on the line at least. Okay. Uh, you must be. And I know Leroy and Peter in the office on headsets. Yeah, you're dialing in from a phone, right? Right. Okay. All right. So let me check and see if we've got them. All right. Uh, anybody at this line? Pete, Leroy, um, you know what, I'm going to put them back in the queue because it sounds like I can hear some talking in the background, but they may be working on technology. What's that, Bruce? You might have heard me. Oh, okay. Now, I thought I heard Pete. The squirrels are teasing my the squirrels are teasing my puppy, and I had to let them out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know your puppy. If there's squirrels out there, he's going to go cuddle with them. Oh, he's just, he's a squirrel hunter. Is he really? He's such a lover. I can't imagine him hunting anything. Mm. Squirrels and deer. Yeah, oh, there you go. Anything else that moves? Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I thought I heard Pete in the background. Sounds like they were kind of working on the technology. Um, part of what I have coming today to test is um, a, a whole new setup, possibly for host. But, you know, we've got, we might have to come up with a couple different setups because we need at least three, you know, mics in, in your place. Um, Rolling toe, they need at least two. Everybody else, probably just one. So we're just trying to find the best uh, best possible setup between hardware and software. So we'll, we're still testing some things. We'll see. It looks like we just dropped uh, that connection to the studio there in Pittsburgh Power. So we'll see if we can get that back. So while we're waiting on that, Bruce, what's, uh, what's new and exciting in your world? 
Well, uh, Pool Trucking sent me a video this morning of a National Carriers and a Walmart trying to pass each other. Well, National Carriers is trying to pass the Walmart in Louisiana. And uh, they're both governed at about 64 or 65 miles an hour. I just sent this around to a lot of other owner-operators. And this video goes on for about 10 minutes, so 10 miles down the highway, and he still can't pass. And he shows in his rearview mirror for as far as you can see, four-wheelers lined up behind the national carrier's truck. Um, I just, uh, that's one of my biggest pet peeves on the highway. Well, I run across that. And I don't know why the person in the right lane just won't back out of the two or three mile prior. Let the other guy go. And then, but it seems to be a cat and mouse game out there with these company trucks. Well, if they're, uh, they, the, the, the listening period is open right now. I think it was only open for 30 days, probably open a week ago or so on, um, the federal government wants to install speed limiters they haven't told us what speed it will be. Um, they have opened it up. This is when you can go and make comments. We've put the link out there for people to go comment. Obviously, the response from the trucking industry, for the most part, is always no. Most groups and people in the trucking industry do not want speed limiters. You know, I talk about going slow all the time. We talk about it. It's the number one way to improve fuel economy and maintenance costs and safety, but I don't want it mandated. They already mandate a speed limit. Why, why can't we just stick with speed limits? We have a law. You post it. If I break that law, you can give me a ticket. If I break the law too many times, you can take my license away from me. Don't we already have enough ways to enforce speed? right that's right it's so much safer without everybody trying to pass everybody on the interstates well well, think about this bruce we we have parts of the country where truck speed limits are 55 miles an hour and we have parts of the country where they are 80 miles an hour so what number do you pick if you're going to randomly speed limit a truck i agree you know, everybody's been in this situation with the two company trucks, and it's very, very annoying. Oh, well, it'll get so. far, far worse if every truck on the road is speed limited to the same maximum speed. Because you know the company right. drivers, and, and they should, whatever number they pick, 65, 68, 70, whatever it is, Every truck will be governed to that speed, and every company driver will drive that speed because they get paid by the mile. Why wouldn't they drive as fast as they can? The owner-operators will hopefully use some common sense based on fuel price. Like today, you should be driving really, really slow with these fuel prices. But now you're going to have this happening all day long on every highway. How do you pass anybody at this point? Right. It's amazing in this video, the car behind the national carrier's truck looks like my car, but I was not in Louisiana. Yeah, you, I, I can't imagine right 10 up on the minutes ICP of that. Bumper and that wouldn't be, yeah, that wouldn't be, oh, I've seen it happen 10 minutes. I counted one time, that I think it was 8, 10 miles it took two trucks to pass. Oh. All right, so... 
I know Pete has a lot to talk about, and so does uh, Leroy, but we need to get them on here. But I wanted to start out with, we get a lot of phone calls. I just had my engine rebuilt, and now this is happening. And by rights, they need to go back to the people that built the engine, but they call us. And there's a lot of questions that you should ask when you're going in and you're going to spend twenty to $30,000 to have your engine rebuilt. And the number one is, what do you set your line of protrusion at? Do you cut up counter bores? Are you going to change my compression ratio? Is there a better compression ratio we should go to? Is there better up rates on the ECM or is it just emissions ECM requirements? And you need to ask those questions. And if you're over half a million mile and the DPF has never been cleaned, are you going to clean the DPF? While the truck's in here, the DPF should be taken out of there and taken to a DPF alternatives. But those questions need to be asked. Just don't take your truck in and say, rebuild it. Because then you don't know what you're going to get. I've got a guy right now with a big cam and he's got a camshaft in there and there's no, not a part number on this camshaft. And we've been on and on and on, Pete and I, spending a lot of time with this guy, trying to help him get everything set. And this is every day. So when your engine's being rebuilt by somebody, ask them the questions. And that's what I have for today. And that's excellent advice. Um, We should question more every time we take a truck in to get anything done. Uh, especially today, we've talked about this so many times, trucks are so much more complicated now, so much more proprietary. You know, we know specific things that have to be done to specific engines, and that part doesn't even exist on other engines. That never used to be the case. Things used to be a lot simpler than they are today. And it really does pay to ask a lot of questions. But Bruce, what, what's the other thing we've been talking about for years and years and years with the shop? And yet it still shocks me how few people take the time to do it. And that is to have at least one shop that you have that really good relationship with, that you can sit down with somebody, you can talk to them about these things. They know you, you know them. That, that really is the key to me. And then when I bring that up, people will always say, well, that wouldn't do me any good because I'm on the road all the time. Well, it still does you good. You're, you're at, there is some place you spend more time than any other place. That's where you want to build that relationship with the shop. Wherever your truck spends the most amount of time, find a good shop, which isn't always easy, build the relationship, make sure you give them as much business as you can, refer them to other people. Relationships go two ways. Ask them questions, hold them accountable, but have somebody that you can talk to. And how many times do we hear, well, yeah, I had this shop do it. Um, Then they're off to some other shop and they just never have that consistency. And I I know you guys do this. You spend a lot of time when you have a customer who you have a relationship with and they're on the road at another shop, you're still helping them, right? That you have no problem if they call you and say, hey, I'm out here. I'm broke down. This shop's telling me this. I, I hear you guys on the phone all day dealing with calls like that. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get a call. I'm taking my truck index and that 
so-and-so garage, uh, what should I tell them to do? (laughs) (laughs) That's not up to us to tell another mechanic what to do. Well, exactly. First off, again, if it's a, a good customer you have a relationship with, of course, at that point, you're going to help them. But even then, like you said, you, you can't tell other shops and other mechanics what to do. I, I get that same kind of call here dealing with health. And they'll say, well, I'm, I'm working with this practitioner, but they don't seem to understand this issue. What should I tell them? Well, first off, I, I don't have the background, I don't have all the history, I don't know all the details I need to know. But second off, nobody wants to listen to somebody else tell them how to do their job. And if you don't trust them enough to do the job properly, that's the problem. You need to find somebody where you trust them enough that you don't have to constantly ask somebody else, what should I tell them to do? Now, there's nothing wrong with getting a second opinion on things, but those are separate. You take your truck to one shop, they say you need an in-frame, but they can't really explain why or you don't understand their answer or you just want to verify it. Take it to another shop. One of the things I tell people all the time, though, when you take it to the second shop, don't tell them about the first shop. Just just take it to them yeah. and say he, the same thing you told the first shop. Here's what it's doing. What's my problem? And then find out, you know, if you get two totally different answers, you might need a third opinion at that point. That's right. By the way, I spent all winter fighting my hip problem. My left hip will bite this. And I had the shots put in, and they last a couple weeks, and you spend thousands of dollars. And you, Kevin Rutherford, told me, give up the grains, give up the bread, and give up the sugar, and the inflammation will go away. And it's about 80% gone, because I haven't quite given up all the sugar yet. Awesome. I've given up the majority of the grains. So here you are giving me free advice. It didn't cost me a penny. And I took it. And I tried to pass that on to a lady that's a little bit older than me at the boat club this weekend. Her husband is a surgeon. They're close to 80, and her fingers are all bent up with arthritis. And I asked her about the grains and the bread and the sugar, and she just stared at me. (laughs) She didn't want to hear it. Oh, Bruce, you are... um... So... You're experiencing one of the most common things we talk about on the health show. People try Mm -hmm. this advice. It works. It works incredible. It works really just about every time. And as human beings, I think it's just natural. We want to share that. You did right away. You want to share it with somebody else. You want to help somebody else. It's the most frustrating part about this whole thing because you really want to help people. You look at them. They're in pain. You know you can help them. And yet they will look at you like you have three heads when you say you shouldn't be eating grain. And we, we all deal with it. But um, all we can do is just keep being good examples. I, I'm glad to hear that from you. I, I was meaning to ask, but I didn't really want to push. Uh, but I, I, I love that. And I, I knew it would work. It always does. It, it's so consistent. And, and it's surprising how fast it can happen. It took, uh, it took, well, you told me about that when you were at the shop with the motorhome. And uh, 
I could now lay on it. Before I couldn't lay on that hip at all. I can lay on that hip for almost an hour now before a little bit of pain comes through. Excellent. But, um, and I know if I give up the rest of the sugar, but you know, I love my cookies and ice cream. And, well, and you know, that's, that's Debbie. Yeah. Here's the thing though. When, when we used to talk about this and you hadn't really experienced it, you hadn't tried it yet. You know, I would mention it now and then. And when I was with you, it's, you know, a little easier. We had more time to talk. So I, you know, I don't really want to push people, you know, I'll answer their questions. I'll put it out there, let them try it. But once you experience it and you now understand if I eat this much of this, I'll hurt this much. If I cut out this much of this, this pain goes away. Now that you understand it and you've experienced it, then everybody should make up their own mind. I have not given up ice cream. Mm-hmm. I eat ice cream occasionally. I, I There are things I know that if, if I wouldn't eat them, I'd be even healthier. But that's where you find the balance. And everybody just needs to do that on their own. But you really want people to experience how powerful food can be. And then once you understand it, then absolutely make up your own mind, decide. But people absolutely do not believe if you give up those grains, this pain will go away. It happens every time. And all you want them to do is experience it once so then they can make up their mind. Is it worth it to you or not? You know, Kevin, years ago, I read Men's Health magazine cover to cover and it said you can't expect your car or your truck to take you to work in the morning without putting fuel in it why do you expect your body to go to work without putting fuel in it so our food is our fuel and we need to give it some you don't have to give it a lot and i also found i read recently read that if you can't get back to sleep in the middle of the night i try to eat turkey eat some turkey and then it wants a healthy fat so i eat a piece of cheese with the turkey and it really helps put me back to sleep but what it seems to do is keep the metabolism going and i'll drop a pound that night and if i do that for a week straight i'm down another six seven pounds yeah you know the the traditional advice for a long time has been if you wake up in the middle of the night um to eat something sweet to bring your blood sugar back up for people who have blood sugar dysregulation, which is just about the whole country these days, uh, when your blood sugar drops, it'll wake you up. So the answer was always, well, eat something sweet. And, and it actually, it usually works. It will put you back to sleep. But then you get a big blood sugar spike that for some reason, when you eat something like that in yeah. the middle of the night, that blood sugar spike will last almost 12 hours it'll really mess with your blood sugar for a long time. And then you're just as likely to get another big drop and wake up again. And so we have told people a little bit of carbs and you can either do this right before bed or if you wake up, a little bit of carbs are okay, but you really want more fat and protein. And it should just be a little tiny snack. I mean, you really don't want to put a bunch of food in your stomach when you're about to go back to sleep. But sometimes, and over time you'll find that you'll need to do that less and less often. Your blood sugar will start to regulate itself better all night long. Okay, well, why being we don't have the other two, why don't we get to some phone calls? And we, we actually, I think, um, it looks like they're all dialed in. It looks like we were having some issues with the equipment and the board. So uh, I'm going to bring in Pete right now. Pete, you're next up. Welcome. 
Hi, Kevin. How are you doing? Doing good. Well, uh, I still have some work to do on the equipment side, I guess. I've got some new stuff coming in today. We're going to play around with some things and test some new ideas, but we always have the backup. We've got you here. We can hear you. That's really all that matters. We can go answer people's questions. So what's new and exciting in your world this week? Okay, well, it's just a, a, something that I had read about the truck sales that um, the truck manufacturers are accepting 55% fewer orders in 2022. Uh, there's a backlog of 250,000 trucks, and a lot of them aren't even taking orders for 2023 2023 because of uncertainties with being able to get the trucks and also pricing and Volvo orders are down 73% and they won't comment on time or price of, of trucks at this point because of the uncertainties that you know we're all seeing, which is quite a bit of trucks. It is. It, it is. And, and you know, my open this morning was about, Every day when I scroll the headlines and I'm putting together my show ideas, we keep setting records, the trucking industry, the economy, but they're not good records, but we are breaking records in so many categories. It's hard to keep up with. Um, Think about this number. Since 2020, we have added 200,000 new carriers. That's the number of authorities that were granted since 2020, 200,000. Now, I can understand in 2020 why that was happening. In the beginning of the year, the economy was booming. So it made sense. If you looked at the economic data, you'd think, yeah, this is a good time to start a trucking company. There's freight everywhere. The rates are strong. Then we had the COVID lockdowns which slowed things down, but trucking wasn't impacted as much as businesses that were shut down completely. We, we were still out working every day. There was less work because of all the other businesses being shut down, but that was a couple months. And then we had a record-breaking recovery, which made sense because when you shut the economy down like that and then you open it back up, of course, things are going to be really busy. And we had the government dumping trillions of dollars into the economy and giving it away like it was candy. Owner operators were getting $100,000 idle loans. It, It was just insane. We talked about it between the PPP and the idle loan. Owner operators had tons of money. So it all made sense that you were seeing lots of new authority then. But let's talk about what's happening right now. We keep setting record fuel prices. We peaked at 563 a gallon, I think, last week. That was a record, highest that we've ever seen. We'll probably see more of that. And they're already talking about fuel rationing on the East Coast and the New England states this summer. I'm seeing fleets telling their drivers, make sure you fuel every chance you get. So we're already being warned about shortages, which means if there are shortages, prices are not coming down anytime soon. So record high fuel prices. We, the spot rates since January are down a dollar a mile. That's how much they've dropped. Flatbed is about the only one that hasn't really tanked like that. Um, so all these records, not good. 
super high fuel prices, rates dropping like crazy. If you're paying attention, you would have to look at this and say, this is a really bad time and record high equipment prices still. That's finally starting to come down a little bit. So three numbers, record-breaking, all in a bad way. You would think nobody would be getting into trucking right now, except in March, March of this year, two months ago, we set another record, 11,000 new carriers in March alone. That's a record. And in April, we did 9,500, which isn't a record, but it's really, really high And I can't believe that there are that many people not paying attention to what's going on that they think this is a good time to go get your authority. It's going to be tough for these guys, no doubt. And, and, you know, with this new trucks almost not being an option, um, it goes back to let's maintain what we have and, and take care of it. And Absolutely. do what we can. I mean, these people need to buckle down, um, slow down. Let's, let's face it. It's the easiest thing someone can do to help improve efficiency and money um, and, and do the maintenance, you know, run the, the catalyst, which is going to help keep everything clean. We're going to have less after treatment issues. Uh, get the DPFs clean when they're supposed to be. If you're running, you know, OEM wants two to 250,000 miles cleaning. If you're running the catalyst, we know we can extend it a lot further once they're clean and you're running catalyst. And with the DPF cleaning, there's the, the cleaning guarantee. If you're running catalyst and get it cleaned, the next cleaning is free. Um, so you want to take advantage of that. And, and you know, set any overheads. Um, you know, the, the dampers, I mean, 500,000 miles, let's get them changed. Yes, it's money you're spending, but it's sure cheaper than a uh, broken crank. And you know, we'll go back to you know, the, the OPS. Let's put it on and not change the oil. Um, save money and oil changes. Those aren't going to get any cheaper if you can even get oil. Good point. Let me jump in right there. Because when I look at numbers for owner operators and I'm looking at their maintenance cost per mile, there's two things I'm looking for. And sometimes people are shocked. I'm looking for somebody Mm -hmm. who's spending way too much on maintenance per mile. And then we have to look at why. Did you just do an in-frame? If you did, then of course your numbers are going to be higher. Did you just buy a full set of tires? There are reasons the number might be high temporarily. But when we see consistently high numbers, there's a problem there and an opportunity. Why are you spending so much on maintenance? We can lower this. We know we can. But the other thing I look for, I look for somebody who consistently is spending too little on maintenance. Because they're not, if, if the number is too low and we know what that number is, then all that tells me is you're not doing the things you were just talking about. You're not doing those preventative maintenance items. You're not adding on or modifying the truck to, to lower maintenance costs the way you can with the OPS. You're, you may not be spending money on catalyst or, you know, getting the overhead done when it needs it or you know, doing a boost leak check or all these other things. You're not keeping your truck aligned, which makes a difference. Um, So either too high or too low. It's like almost everything else. There's a sweet spot. There's, there's a bell curve. And honestly, right now um, you should not be spending anything less than about 12 cents a mile on maintenance, which is double what the number used to be just a couple of years ago. I used to say there are trucks out there. You can get away with, six or seven cents a mile on maintenance. And they were primarily well taken care of pre-emission trucks. 
They were just about the lowest operating cost you could get. Those late 90s, early 2000s, they've really been taken care of. I see people run, you know, six to eight cents a mile. Not anymore, just because shop rates have gone up, parts have gone up, supplies have gone up. That number now is probably 12 cents a mile. If you're spending less than 12 cents, you should look to make sure you're doing the right preventative maintenance. The high number anymore, it's it's getting hard to pick. I mean, I see new trucks less than three years old running around with maintenance cost of 25 to 30 cents a mile. I mean, that's really high, but I, you know, I, I have to believe that those trucks are specced wrong, they're driven wrong, they don't have a relationship with the shop, and all of those things drive your cost up. But, and, and what was happening was rates were so strong that these guys don't know their numbers, but even if they did, they'd look at it and go, oh, well, okay, 30, 35 cents a mile. Well, that's fine until the rates drop back down and fuel stays high and there's not as much work. You won't be able to afford that kind of maintenance cost. No, that's for sure. And we're really going to start watching our pennies. Yes, yes, that is the lesson. All right, let's, uh, up. let's bring Leroy into the conversation here. Leroy, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. Hey, do you miss me yet? Oh, I, I do miss you. Well, good. I do. You should come back. Good. I think I'm going to make that play trip. More with the motor home. At the very least, I think I'm going to make that an annual trip now. I had so much fun. I got so much done. Um, go to the truck show. Go to Pittsburgh for a while. I think that's going to become an annual event. Yeah. No, I think you should. Yeah. But, so, uh yeah, so as far as anything new and interesting, I don't have anything new, but I feel like I have something interesting that's sort of on the topics of what we're talking about as far as saving money. And the, there was an article that we got passed around here that the headline was, finally, possible death relief for diesel-powered RVs and trucks. And in the article, they're talking about how the EPA is proposing new rules for like uh, the inducement D-rates or, you know, like death shutdowns, like if your SCR has an issue, like a lot of the stuff that we saw within the last year with the sensors on Packard products is with the dev tank, if you remember that. Yes. Um, so the, the, the nice thing about reading through this, it's, you know, the whole document's 500 pages long, but just a section about inducement. The, the nice thing is, is they are listening. Like a lot of the complaints that commenters, they, they, they take the comments and the EPA does and they list all the things that people are complaining about and they all have really valid comments and they, they're even asking for, you know, other commenters. So I don't know what channels, you know, even people like us or truck drivers need to go to. They have a list of questions that they're like seeking comment on, uh, as far as like the rule changes. Like, do you agree with the rule changes? Do you not agree with the rule changes? Um, have you read any of this or no? Yeah, I read this kind of stuff just about every day. So, I mean, some of the nice things are, is they're saying like the severe nature of the concerns are leading to more deletes, which we don't want to see. We want to see the systems working. Yep. And you can't blame some people for doing it. You know, they could go out of business if they can't get the parts. And the main thing they want to change is the five mile an hour D-rate part. Instead of going to five miles an hour, they're thinking about giving you a, a speed based on your average speed. So if like you're a highway truck, they want to give you like 50 miles an hour versus five. Okay. 
Well, um, what, and if you're like, uh, uh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, what's the point of a five mile an hour D rate? What do you do with that? Well, the the thing is, the, the current strategy. I mean, it's not like it doesn't let you know. The dash comes up, says the truck is going to derate in five, in four hours, but four hours isn't enough time. You know, the, you eventually get to the five and a half, five right. mile an hour derate, but right. you have four hours to to go find a safe place. Yeah. In in the like the control the control strategy notes, they call it like the safe harbor strategy. <laughs> like they're looking for a safe place for you to pull over, but. Like they talk about in here, there is a need for the driver to get home from a distance or to deliver critical freight or schedule repairs. You don't, you can't just like get off the road in four hours and then have the the, the truck repaired. Sometimes Correct. it takes days for things to be repaired. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So, exactly. Especially you, you start getting out west. Four hours isn't that isn't that much really. Now, sure, you can travel a certain amount of distance, but it's a long way between shops. And, you know, we all know the situation with shops now. They're, everybody's slammed. You can't get work done anywhere. So um, hopefully that's, that's part of what we'll see some improvement in as this crazy hot economy starts to slow down a little bit. It might be easier to get our, our trucks worked on a little bit. You know, I, I, I want to go back to um, what we can do. I don't want to just be complaining about the fact that labor is expensive, where there's not enough mechanics, parts are short. You know, I don't want to just complain about it. What can we do? We, we've talked about it. Pete mentioned it earlier. Slow down um, is huge. And I asked Joel to give me some numbers from their fleet because they do an awesome job of keeping numbers together and he just sent them over a little bit ago. Um, when they track this number, if they have a truck running 70 miles an hour uh, and they reduce that to 55 miles an hour, they see a 35% reduction in maintenance cost. That's huge. That's really wow. big. Now huge. when rates were high and everybody just wanted to get as many miles in as they could, it made sense. Go run hard, go drive faster, make the money while you can, but you also have to be ready to shift. And we should have been shifting months ago. You know, the, these, these new authorities are, are just so out of whack with what's going on, but we still see a lot of owner operators who take the opposite approach. They're starting to panic because of high prices and rates going down. And their answer is, well, I better run harder when at this point mm-hmm. it's the opposite. Slow down makes a huge difference. And like the other thing is like in this, this, um, in the proposed rule, being these are just software changes, there there are people asking to make these changes on the trucks that we already have versus waiting to 2027 for the new stuff. So that's something that, you know, people could do is, you know, go to whatever channel you need to go through to see if they can make these changes now. There you go. Yep. So. All right. Yeah, just, well, uh, the um, sort of interesting. it is, it is. So let's stay on top of that one. The, uh, the calls are building up. So let's get to them. We're going to start off today in Virginia. Steve, welcome Uh-oh. to the program. Hey, Kevin. I had a question for Pete. Yes. Hey, Pete. Uh, I found a mechanical N14. And I want to switch it out my, with my N14. And how hard would that be to do? 
So you had the electronic one. I got your email. I haven't had a chance to address it. So it's going to drop in place. Um, That's not a problem. We'll have to put a, it's kind of opposite of what most people are doing where they're going to the electronic ones, which is, I think, a little more involved. I think going to mechanical from electronics would be a little simpler. Um, the only thing I'd be concerned with, and I would have to check with um, engineering, is, is the, your dash. Um, what gauges are run off the tr- engine and not the ECM? That would be the only issue that we might have to look into is, is the dash might not, um, you know, we might have to put a, a physical oil pressure gauge, uh, a boost gauge, and, and so forth in there, water temp, and not rely on the ones that go to the ECM. Right. And we probably want to have the truck here first to check that out. And then, uh, and then, then what would be my, oh, uh, let me rephrase. And then I got a question for Kevin. Sure, go ahead. So what, what, what would I... What would I expect in, in fuel loss mechanical versus, I, number one, I don't know how to drive a mechanical motor, so I'm sure that's going to be a learning experience as far as rolling in the bearings and that kind of thing. Yeah, there's definitely... I can help you with that. Yeah, you know, when, when we look at... I can help you with driving that mechanical. Yeah, when we look at the, you know, the last... 20 years of trucking since we've had electronics there have been minor changes in the way you drive these trucks some engines you can run a little lower some engines you want to but but those changes have been really really minor but the difference between how you drive a mechanical engine and how you drive an electronic engine is big it's not minor at all it's it's totally different and like bruce said they're they're about the best source for for driving a mechanical engine um you know it the the thing with mechanical engines when we look at electronic engines and trucks today we have electronic engines and trucks and some of these trucks are still getting five and a half and six miles to the gallon which just seems insane to me on the other hand we have people now breaking 10 miles to the gallon consistently that's with electronics the thing I always found about mechanical engines, they all all seem to be the, the biggest group, that bell curve on a mechanical engine. They're all somewhere between five and seven miles to the gallon, and not many of them get to seven. But you can, if you do the right things, if you've got good aerodynamics, good rolling resistance, you know how to drive it, it's built and, and tuned right. Um, and by tuning, I don't mean electronic tuning, but we've got everything that we can optimized on that engine. Um, you might get close to seven. Very seldom so, do we ever see mechanical engines exceed that. They, they, it's a much I'm, tighter I'm, range, and it, it's basically between five and seven miles to the gallon. Well, well I'm only getting six now. So, I mean, I, I run a weird operation as far as the truck goes. So... And when you say done right, because supposedly the thing's been rebuilt, and the guy that they rebuilt the motor for, he pulled out of buying the motor. So is that what you mean by done right? As far as you put it together, what I mean, like I mean, the guy wants twenty large for it. Bruce, um, give, give him a rundown of what kind of things you guys do when you optimize a truck with a mechanical engine for fuel economy. Well, first of all, this engine was just rebuilt, you said, so you want to know the line of protrusion. You want to know where the timing set, what CPL it is. 
and then we can take care of the fuel pump and the injectors and the turbocharger for you. And we'll make sure you have a working pyrometer and a boost gauge. And you and I'll talk about driving. I don't think there's a, a big difference from driving on an N14 electronic versus an N14 mechanical, but we can discuss that. So let's, but it'd be nice to know what the CPL, the engine was built to, and then Pete and I can look at it and give you more advice. I hope it was built to a, a 525 and I hope it was built to CPL 2025. No, he's looking at a mechanical N14. Oh, that's right. That's he, he has the electronic in his truck now and he wants to go, he's looking at a mechanical engine. So we're looking at like a uh, 1405 or 1652 CPL. So if, if you have the engine serial number of that engine or you can get it, go ahead and email it to me and I can get back to you with what the engine was built to. Okay. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just dump it all on you privately, Pete. You tell me what to do here. Yeah, we, we definitely can do that, Brian. Um So the N14 mechanics are great engines. I, if you had an NTC and you want to upgrade, that's a great upgrade for a bunch of different reasons. Your electro, N14 electronics are really pretty trouble-free. I mean, they have, obviously, because you have an ECM and sensors, you have more problems or more chance of having a problem because something else could go wrong. But it's still a pretty basic engine compared to you know, 2010, uh, which we know were somewhat of a problem child engines. At that period, um, DPFs weren't that great, and they just weren't a good engine. But we prefer to say, we like to see something either like 14N newer or like 07 and older. Um, But, you know, the N14 electronic engines, they're still a good durable engine. I'm not sure if you're going to gain anything by making this change. See, that's what I was going to say. So for America's sake, which would be the better way to go, to, to rebuild the one I have now or to swap it out? I would say rebuild what you have because we know these N14s are good engines. When you get into, you're, you're buying an engine, uh, then you got to pull yours out. Um, there's things we have to switch over. It's going to be a lot more money to do that than it would be to simply rebuild yours. And uh, they need to get... I have your serial number. I have to go look it up and get you. I don't. Did I get you a price yet for in framing yours? I know we talked about it. No, we talked about it. Yeah. Okay, about I need that. to get you an estimate then, and so you have an idea. But it's definitely far more economical to in frame an N14 than to swap engines. And the N14 engines are very rebuildable. There's a lot of life left in them, even with high mileage. These blocks really hold up well. Yeah, I'm gonna. All right, well, I appreciate you taking my call. Well, I'm gonna jump in there and and join Uh-oh. join Pete on that. You know, if you look at the the engine that's already been rebuilt, the mechanical, we're not sure exactly how it was rebuilt. You can go back and try to ask all those questions. You may not get any answers. So you're not exactly sure what you're getting, and it is still mechanical. I, I think one of the best improvements ever on a diesel engine was electronics. I mean, in, in so many ways, the life of the engine got longer, much longer, uh, because of all the fuel control you've got. You don't wash fuel down into the crankcase all the time the way you can on mechanical engines. You get to rebuild this N14 exactly the way you want it. You know it'll be done right. It will be less expensive, and you have a far better engine when you're done. Right. That's what I was kind of thinking, but you know, I'm kind of antsy. I'm- 
want to do something at the end of harvest season. So I want to make sure all my ducks are in a row. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I, I would definitely go that route. All right. Thank you again for the call. You're welcome. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. You know, do you know what I'm doing at the moment? What are you doing? I'm, I'm polishing the inside of my breezes. <laughs> well, there you go. I do, yeah, because I don't know if I'll pick up any fuel mileage, but I was changing my air filters and I looked in there and it's like, God, there's a lot of crap in there. I've never actually cleaned the inside, so I thought, well, I'll clean them up. So they're real shiny on the inside. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Hey, Paul, what are you gonna what are you gonna coat it with then? The stainless steel. I just wiped all. I sprayed WD forty in there, wiped all the crap out, and then just uh, uh, wiped it off. So, yeah. I'm wondering. You know, we talk about the white lithium grease. Uh, while you're doing that, take off all your piping going to the turbo and clean that out. And coat that with white lithium grease. It helps to yep. catch the fine dust. And I wonder if you spray the inside of the air filter housing, and the next time you change the air filter, then um, give us a report on what you find. I might do that. Yeah. So okay. yesterday, yesterday I had an oil change, and then it's the I go I go to the Petro in Oklahoma City. And I've had the same guy do my oil changes for probably the last year. Same blue guy. So he he gets under there and he's like, what the hell did you hit? I said, what do you mean, what did I hit? And he said, you got a big dent in your oil pan. So I got down there in the, in the pit. And, hang on a minute. Um, oh, that's what it was. Um, I got down there in the pit and... Just recently, I had my engine mounts changed. Well, I think that they put blocks of wood underneath the engine, and they sat the engine on the block of wood, and I got a crease in it right in the bottom of the Should I replace it? Yes. You okay, should go back to the people that, that put the engine mounts in how did you well, um, first of all ask him how did you support the engine when you were doing the mounts hey hey paul well, I've, paul i've got an idea for you well when i first started doing body work a long time ago we used to use these slide hammer things so all you do is you drill a little hole in that pan where it's dented in and then you you put a big screw in there and you attach it to the slide hammer and you just whack that slide hammer i'll take that dent right out that. Yeah, might leak oil a little bit. <laughs> so, so but the, the whole in the whole engine, the shop I've been using for a couple of years now. Um, the one mechanic that was really good, really really good, OCD. Um, he left. Well, now the other newer mechanics that have been working on my truck, I've pretty much decided it's in my best interest to not go back there because there's been a couple of times where I've had to go back and it's like, well, you, you didn't do this properly and 
they charge me for engine mounts, but the engine mounts and my head rack frame, they use the same bolt holes. So my engine mounts where it mounts to the frame have four holes per side, or eight holes per side, actually, I think it is. So the, the, the head rack frame goes through the engine mounts. Well, so it's a pretty big job to change them. Well, I paid for the engine mounts, and then I found out later that they didn't replace one side, and then I went back there and told them, and that's when they replaced the other one. But I'm pretty sure that's when I ended up with the dead in the sump too. So, because it's only just a few weeks ago that they did it, but I think I'm done with that shop. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I think when, if I go there and they'll say, well, we didn't do that. So I think that'll be his answer. So, yeah. All right. So, hey, yeah. Paul, you, you had a question yesterday, and I've got a better answer for you t- now. Okay. The flags. You know, that was kind of confusing. There were so many reasons. We had mass shootings all weekend. You know, we just have people dying everywhere in this country anymore, it seems like. But I guess the reason for the flags at half staff um, was because of the we hit a million COVID deaths. Oh, okay. Yeah, that'd be it. Yeah. 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 A million people died with COVID, but not a million died of COVID. Exactly. Yeah. We have no idea what that real number might be, but uh, yeah, Matt sent that over to me. That's what that was all about. Yeah. So I got, I got one more question for you. All right. So, um, it's just started doing it. I've, I've had some big ticket items lately, starter motor, bell housing, clutch, et cetera, et cetera. So, Occasionally, when I'm driving along, one day the truck it just cut off altogether, and it's like, oh crap! But I was on a U.S. highway in Texas, and I just pulled over, and uh, I turned the key off and then turned it back on, and started. And it's like, well, I don't know what that was. But sometimes when I'm driving along, and just like the click of the finger, it's like it turns off and turns straight back on, and don't throw no codes, no lights come up or nothing. But it's like someone kills the power for a split second. Yeah, I think I'm going to bad broken wire somewhere, maybe. Yeah, if there's no codes or anything, then it's most likely either losing battery voltage to the ECM or uh, key switch, maybe the ground itself. Maybe check out, I mean, does anything in your cab go out to or is it just the engine? No, it just, it's just a, it's just like someone shuts it, shuts it off and turns it straight back on, but it's, it's only the, the click of a finger. That's about how long it is. Just yeah, it's just the engine. It's not like your dash goes out too, right? No, no, nothing. Yeah, the rev counter and everything stays. It don't flash any lights or codes or nothing. It just kills the engine for a split second. So, but that, yeah. that one day it shut off. It shut off altogether. I just I grabbed the gear and it's like, oh hell, what the hell? I got no boot. I got nothing. Oh, and I rolled to a stop, turned the key off, and then turned it back on, and it started up, and away I went. But just. A little bit more lately, I'll be driving along, and it's just that momentarily. So, I would start by looking there. at like connections in like the battery box, or like pull the connector off of the ECM itself, and then look inside. I think I had an ISX one time, like a eight seventy or five seventy, that the power um, 
the power pin on the ECM connector was all green, and he was having yeah. a similar issue. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, if, if I don't find anything, I'm coming up there at the end of July, so I guess I can add the some replacement onto that as well. So, yeah. yeah. There you go. The joys of trucking. So, oh, he's still there? Yep. I got one other thing. No, you My said that last time. Limited. I just thought of this one too because you're talking about speed limited. My truck's speed limited. Mostly I drive at 62. It's speed limited at 102. I've been pretty close, but I've never been up there. But <laughs> if I have to, if, if I have to get out, I don't, it doesn't take me 18 miles to get past someone. If if I get come up beside behind someone and it's like I got enough room to get out and get around them, I might go up to 68 or 75 to get the hell out of the way, but I don't like holding traffic up. I don't like being held up, so I'm dead against speed limited trucks, but I'm not against going slow. There you go. There you go. All right. We're going to cut you off before you say I got to say, I did see a video. I saw a video of Paul in a hammer lane going by another car hauler, and uh, he wasn't going 62 mile an hour and I... But Paul and I have already talked about that one, too. There you go. All right. We are going to head off to Wisconsin this time. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Uh, really enjoy the shows. Thank you very much. But I do have a suggestion for another show for you guys. Sure. What is it? Doing it. Bringing back, uh, back to the basics. With uh, you can do it with Bruce and the Malin Center for the brakes, and you can even do it with Bruce. But instead of doing mechanical, you teach him about health. Oh, there take you go. Take him back to the beginning of desti- Take him back to the beginning of destination health, and explain it to him. That would help a lot of people understand that part of it. Yeah, you know, I, I used but, to I used to really like that segment. Bruce, remember when we did a couple of those? We we called it back to the basics and we took a system in the truck yes. like the intake system and we explained from start to finish what was happening. The air comes in through the air cleaner, it gets filtered. We, we remember that people used to love that segment. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. We can do anything people ask. Just we need we're always looking for suggestions. Yeah, I like that. We we need to you know the 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 beauty of this whole new network is we kind of have unlimited time. If we want to add a show, we can add a show. If we want to do another segment, we can do another segment. That's also the challenge with this new network because we have the ability to i just have to find the time to get it all done we haven't even created any of our bumpers and opens yet for all the shows we're already doing it's on my list we just have to get to it but uh um, i like that idea i do i think we'll bring something like that back that that, back to the basic you know even even once a month you can do it with both health and trucking yeah and you could even do accounting etc etc just keep it to the trucking industry and just things like that and bring in different hosts with yourself 
maybe we would call this segment just back to the basics and we might cover anything. Like you said, it might be accounting or financial right. planning. It might be retirement planning. It might be right. all of the systems on trucks we, we could go through. And then on health, yeah, I, I like that. Maybe its own segment, which is always about back to the basics, but the topics might change. Correct. Good idea. You know, You're not going to want I'll some sort that, of a you know, commission for coming up with that idea, are you? <laughs> no, just uh, enjoy the shows. I like it. Thank you. It's on my list. All right. Yeah, you know, we. You know, one of the the basics is we have that Adam that does the Hawkeye report. And that is a phenomenal report that a guy should have done every several years. Is uh, He gets on a creeper and Adam's on a creeper and they go front to back on that truck. And Adam, Adam sees things that most people don't. And then uh, he's starting to work off the list. Hold on, there's another squirrel outside. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. We've got squirrels now. I, I love that idea about back to the basics. And uh, yeah, that's, um, I got to experience Adam. You'd be standing there staring at a truck, trying to figure out what the problem was. And as Adam's walking by, he'd look over and go, oh yeah, it's right there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you okay. see that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been a mechanic since 65, but Adam been a mechanic his entire life and he does see things. You know, and one day he saw an F-379 with a caterpillar. He saw that Indian mount cracked on the right side, and uh, it was kind of hidden. And I said, how did you even see that? And just think if that mount would have came, broke completely through, that engine would have gone to the highway. Yeah. And, and that damper in front of that front cover and the oil pan and it would have broken the flywheel housing and destroyed the clutch. Oh, and, and let's say the guy was going 60, 70, 75 miles an hour. He could have, he could have turned underneath and catapulted the truck in the air. And God only knows what could have happened then all because of that front mount. I watched an episode of Maze. I watched an episode of Mythbusters once and they were speculating on whether or not if the front part of a drive shaft and they were just doing cars, if the front part of the drive shaft were to drop and then there was a big enough pothole and the drive shaft dropped down in, the myth was that you could flip the car completely over on its top like that. They were never able to recreate that one. I think yeah, it'll catapult it. It certainly will. It, it did it when they right back up through it. When they attempted it, it did all kinds of damage. It tore all kinds of stuff up, but never once did it actually flip the car over forward like you think it it could. But normally, what would happen is the whole rear end would tear out of the car first. Yeah, but it's a it's a lot yeah, of damage. I saw a video and, yesterday. A guy, and, guy put a GoPro camera in a tire, mounted it to the wheel on a Mercedes Benz on a low pro tire, and he drove it down the highway. Yeah, I thought uh, yeah. Oh yeah, see how the tire would flex. Yeah, that's pretty wild. 
Yeah. Here's the other thing about Adam catching that, that broken mount like that. That's not a common thing. I mean, not. you know, to, to catch common things that you kind of know this breaks, you got to watch this. That's one thing, but that that's an unusual thing. That doesn't happen very often at all. So for him to catch that was a good catch. And just picture in your mind the front of the engine coming down, hitting the highway. Oof, yeah. And then it starts to roll under the truck. And the flywheel housing is up Oof. Uh, right underneath you. It's yeah. right up underneath the driver. And now your front end's three, four feet in the air at 70 miles an hour. And Too bad we. It'd be a disaster, so. Too bad we don't have a big enough budget to do a Mythbuster truck edition where we got to go out and try all these things and see what it does. That'd be fun. Let's, uh, let's grab some phone calls because they keep piling up on us here. We're going to head off to Tennessee. Grant, welcome to the program. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I've got a comment and then I've got a question. Uh, my comment is... I slowed down to 60 miles an hour from 70 miles an hour. And I couldn't quite quantify a gain of 0.6.7 miles per gallon. It didn't mean anything to me. So I run the same lane all the time. So I looked at my fuel mileage or my uh, actual mileage. And in one tank of fuel, I gained 240 miles. That's a lot. 10 miles slower. Yeah. That's four Four hours of fuel. four hours of free fuel. So, which is really wow. interesting, and there's a couple ways to look at this. One, just pure cost. I mean, the amount of money you saved in that is incredible. But one of the other things I did when we used to really talk about fuel mileage and slowing down and all the things you could do to improve it, one of the other things I, I measured was and you could do this in your own operation pretty easily because it's consistent. You have all the numbers. How many fewer times per year do you have to fuel now? And that's a significant amount of time. Right. And it's like uh, every fifth uh, fuel up is free. Right. Right. Including the time so, it takes to go get that fuel. Right. So it does make a difference that I can understand, and it gives me something to uh, to understand what kind of a, a savings I'm getting. Yeah, that's and it that. makes it a lot easier to drive. A lot easier to drive at sixty miles an hour when you can see it. That's a that's a good point. You know, we we built some and, calculations into the KR scan gauge. Um, we weren't able to make them as simple as we wanted to, but if you follow the instructions we've put out, the, the KR scan gauge will tell you as you're going down the road how much money you're saving in fuel. And it, it uses, you know, your last fuel up and the last cost of fuel, and you can actually watch it right in front of you. Uh, and the, the other calculation shows exactly what it's doing to your profit. So it'll show you as you're driving down the road at 70 miles an hour what your cost per mile is, and then if you slow down to 60. So, you know, looking at this in different ways like you did, like you said, that the numbers the way we were presenting them didn't always click with you, but when you did it this way, then you could see the difference. Right. And the thing that made me do this is when you said 
you can run harder and make more money and your net goes down. And yes. I'm like, how can that even happen? I, so anyway, my question is, my question is, I, I actually read my owner's manual and it says to change my oil every 50,000 miles. And I don't have a bypass filter. Yes, so you, I change my oil every 50,000 miles. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, technically you do have a partial bypass that's why these trucks, okay. a lot of the new trucks went to 70,000 miles, 50,000 mile oil changes because they are putting some partial bypass on those trucks. So that, that is what allows okay. that oil to go that long. Uh, and, you know, we, we, and honestly, with these trucks, you could also do what we do with the OPS. Now, that, that filtration is not nearly as good as the OPS, but it's much better than what we used to have with just full flow. And you could, at 50,000 miles, you could sample your oil and see if it really needs to be changed or not, just like we do with an OPS. Right, and I do actually sample it every 25,000. Um, my question is with my filters, can I go 50,000 miles between filters, or should I do that every 25,000? No, the, if the OEM, again, go back to your owner's manual, and if the OEM is saying it's an oil change at 50,000, that's oil and filters. I mean, they would tell you if you need okay. to change those filters sooner. So they know what the capacity of the filter is, and your sample will verify that. Okay. And uh, you have a vote for back to the basics. I'm all for that. Good. Good. Okay. I like that. You guys have a good day. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Florida. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, this is Mike from Pensacola. What's on your mind today? I uh, called you guys a few weeks ago. Um, been hot shopping for three years, and I was wanting to add a class A. Um, well, I bought a truck last week, the 98-379. It's a Series 60, 12.7. Got a Super 10. In a 373 gear. Tachometer wasn't what size, what, what size tire? Got the standard 24.5s. Ooh, okay. so it's got tall 24.5s and non-aerodynamic. Obviously, you weren't concerned about fuel economy. Well, I want to make it as economical as possible. I'm willing to do that. Okay. Okay. We can, we can help you with that. Um, and right now your equivalent is about a 336 gear. So at 70 miles an hour or 65, what's your RPM? That's the issue that pack was not working on the way home. Um, there seems to be a really big jump. There is. There is. Yeah. So I'm I'm not sure if it actually has a 373 in it or not. That's the tag on the rears. Wait, wait. You said three. You said 370s originally. I'm sorry, 373. Yeah. 
So, first thing to do is get the tachometer fixed and then get a, make sure the boost gauge works. Um, you might want to try to get that. Why don't you get that up and get into our engineering department and let's go over the electronics on that truck and then make sure that's all right. And to change the torsional damper and a balancer and if money allows the manifold and turbo and that alone right there should give you a half a mile of the gallon or more. And then let Leroy or JR look at the tune that's in it. That would be the starting point. And then we talk about tires, we talk about gearing and speed and driving by the boost gauge, but we can help you. Okay. Um, I just want to let you know what I did see was in ninth gear, it would run a maximum of 55. Um, and of course, in 10th gear, it would run as fast as I wanted it to run. Yeah. So, assuming on the engine, it looks like max RPM is nineteen fifty on that engine. Is that correct? Yeah, that was going to be yeah, my next question. Right. What is the? What are those mostly set at for top end of RPM? For some reason, I was thinking eighteen fifty, but nineteen fifty might be right. So what I was thinking, Kevin, was eighteen eighteen fifty, but. And it can be said, anybody can set it. We right. can set the RPM to anything you want. So. Right. The governor typically goes to 2100. Okay. Yeah, so I think part the tag that it governed in 1950. Yeah, part of the mm -hmm. problem is we're guessing at so many variables that you'll never know if your calculation on gearing is correct. We We have to verify certain numbers and then we can calculate the last number but everything on a truck right, this old I, and could, I understand that yeah everything on a truck this old could have been changed or modified so one of the ways that you could do it right now that you could come pretty darn close on that rear end number is the tie a string around the drive shaft method you put a mark on your tire right at the center where it meets the ground and then you tie a string around the drive shaft near the rear differential and you roll the truck forward and have somebody watch that string. And the number of times it goes around will give you an idea of what the gear is. If it goes around more than three and a half times, but not quite four times, then yes, you either have 370s or 373s. They're too close to, to tell the difference. But it'll get us close enough on that number that then we can probably start to calculate some of the other numbers. Right. That is ninth year is direct in that transmission, I'm assuming. Correct. Because of the big yes. Expense. Yeah, and then then final on a Super 10, I think was either 0 0.74, 0 0.75, but I'm not sure. That's why that feels like such a big jump. Right. So the things we do know, maybe, <laughs> 1950 in direct running 55 miles an hour. You could calculate it like that and see how close you come to your rear end, right? So I was just wondering, if, you know, because those numbers, is it possibly right being a 373? 
It's possible yes. that, yeah, that sounds like it's about right where we expect it to be. Well, we don't know what the tax doing, though. Right? Right. Yeah, we don't so know we really what the won't be able to tell until you give us that information. Right. So if you give us the speed and RPM, then we'd have an idea, you know, when you're in direct, what we're in ratio you'd have, or get, get, at least get you close. Right. But right. We, need, we need the attack information first. And, and I know we're running around in circles. So I just got one more question. Sure. <laughs> that, that motor, I want to be able to run indirect 65 miles an hour. What's the sweet spot? in RPM in that mode. 1,400. All right, so that would be the target 14, here. 14 to 14, 14 to 1,500. Okay. All right. And if you want to run him directly, you're looking at 264 gears. Yep. Somewhere, somewhere way up there. Okay. Yep. All right, so I'm Definitely looking at a gear change. Uh, You've got a lot of things to do before the gear change. Exactly. You've right. got a lot of things. Let's not worry about the gear change yet. That's, that's like the icing on the cake. And, and Mike, here's why. Is this a single axle, by the way? I don't know if we ever covered that. No, I, I, no, I went ahead and, and bought a, a twin screw. I mean... There's a lot more options, like you were telling Ab- me. Absolutely. So the way you would approach the gear change is when you're going to change the gears is also when I would single this thing out. Or you could actually single it out sooner because just singling it out is going to create a pretty big improvement on fuel economy. And it's, if you do it right, it's not really that expensive. Then when it does come time to change the gears, you've cut your cost in half because you're only going to do one axle instead of two. But Bruce is right. Let's say that singling it out and changing a gear set is going to cost you 6000 And that's probably a pretty good estimate. Pete, you could correct me if I'm off by much. The other way you could look at that is pull into Pittsburgh Power, say, I've got a check for $6,000. Tell me how many things you can do to improve fuel economy, and you will get three or four times more gain in fuel economy than you would by just the gear change. Right. I'm, I'm tracking that. Yeah. So at some point, yeah, you, you, you probably will want to do a gear change, go to direct, but it would be very, very much towards the bottom of my list. Correct. Yeah. I got to make sure everything else is right. Yep. Yep. And, you know, it's an old truck. You don't know a lot about it. A lot of things aren't working. So I, I think whatever fuel economy that thing is getting right now, we could probably improve it by two miles to the gallon without a gear change. Right. And remember, the first thing there, you should do, we, we always talk about changing the RPM by changing the tire size or changing the gear ratio. There's one other really big way you can change your RPM. And it's free. You slow down. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I'm saying. My max cruise, I want it 65. Yeah, and and if it turns out that right now this thing's a little gear bound and 65, we're at clearly you're never going to get anywhere near direct the way you're set up now. Um, 
but 65 may be too high of an RPM right now. So maybe you run 60 or 61 or 62. That, that Sometimes that can make a huge difference. It doesn't cost anything. Yeah. I, if he has 370s in tall 24 or 5, 65 is going to be a good speed for that truck because actually it's going to be between 65 and 70. Yeah, well, that would be it, one of the might- first things I would change would be that tire size. I, I would get rid of those things for a lot of reasons. Very, very first thing I would do is be put it on the max mileage catalyst to start cleaning out all the soot and carbon that's accumulated in the last 24 years. You know, I'll pick up a gallon of the max mileage catalyst and start there and get the tachometer fixed and then call us. You know, Bruce, this would almost be a, uh, a, a great story to do a back to the basics episode. Here's a truck that's older. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, not set up the way we want it to be set up right. at all. Let's go back and show how you start. What is the first thing we do and why? What is the next step and why? Um, maybe I'll work on that. That would make a great episode for that. Let's grab some more calls before we run well, out of wait, time. One, one other thing. Go one ahead, other Bruce. thing. This is the perfect truck to let Adam do the Hawkeye report on him. absolutely perfect truck. Yeah, well, that could be a well, that could be a part of that show. Back to the basics. We have we have Hawkeye down there finding everything for us, and that that's the basics. Let let's make sure this truck, every system on it is operating correctly and it's optimized before we spend any money to modify it. Let's go okay. to Utah, Adam. Welcome to the program. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, so, I actually, my question is kind of similar to the last caller, except that my uh, tachometer works. And um, so, I bought a. I, I, let me go back. I bought a truck because you had told me that the truck that I had, I should park it in the ghetto, leave the keys running, and walk away from it. <laughs> and uh, I took your advice, and I went out and I bought a uh, the same year truck, but it's a 2012. It's a glider with a cat c15 the uh, bridge motor and um uh, my fuel economy has been average just under six and uh and so i'm doing some things in order to improve that um actually at the pdi and in, in, uh in uh, st george and i'm having a manifold turbo and they blast ecm they did find a, a leak in the air charge cooler but i i was kind of curious to try to get the best fuel economy. And I, I guess you guys kind of answered in that last segment, but it, my question was, I have no idea what the rear end, rear end uh, are because there's no tags. And I even had the mechanics here look at it. And then I called up Freightliner and they said that because it's a glider, they can't, they can't tell me because the truck came with just, you know, the way gliders come without rear ends or anything. So, but basically it sounds like it's a 370. If I'm doing, um, 65 miles an hour and I'm about 1500 RPMs and it's also a super 10. Somebody built a glider kit and put a super 10 in it. Wow. That's unusual. Uh, yes, sir. Oh my God. You know, Bruce, I, I have only driven that transmission a couple times and I didn't like it cause it's a little awkward and it's unusual and you're not used to it. But 
just about everybody I know that has had one of those transmissions, they really like them. Doesn't Jackie still have one in hers? I don't know, but you know, it's the gap between ninth and tenth gear. I actually like the transmission. It's easy. Every gear is two gears, so you don't have to move your ship lever around that much. Yeah, everybody I've ever talked to that had one likes them. So, and and they seem to be durable. We've we've seen them last, you know, well over a million miles. So I really don't see any major mechanical issues with them. So once people get used to shifting them, it seems like a pretty decent transmission. I'm not sure why it didn't. Um, really last long, but the people that have them seem to love them. Well, you can't split a gear. You can never be at the perfect RPM. And that's true. And that's every 10 speed. Um, So. But I'm just trying to figure out if I'm doing 65 miles an hour at 1500 RPMs, is that probably a 370? What tires? And then. Uh, 225, uh, 22 fives. Low profile or 11R? Yeah. Low profile. 65 uh, at yeah. 1500? Yes. Where are you at 60? Maybe 66. Where are you at 60? Uh, between 57 and 60, I'm right around 1400. You might have 390s. Oh, shit. Yeah, those sound pretty close to 390s. So, Kevin, you had a guy a couple of weeks ago call in, and he had a, a overdrive transmission like I did, and he put 308s, I believe, in. And he was saying that with the 308s, and I don't know if he had his truck tuned or not, but with the 308s, he was able to pull pretty well. Like that, that gap didn't affect him as much with that uh, ratio. Well, there is a... There is a percentage change when we start changing gear ratios. With this truck, I, I don't think I would ever recommend 308s. You, you would be stuck between that that's too low of a gear to run direct unless you were going to run about 50 miles an hour, and it's too tall of a gear. No, I don't want I don't. to run it over. Say that again. So in, in, in 10th gear, that would be too tall of a gear? No, it, yeah, in 10th, yeah. it's too tall. In 9th, it's too short. So it's just a lousy gear rate. Now, when you hear about 308s, a lot of times we're talking about more modern engines. We're putting in even taller gear ratios. Um, and sometimes we're expecting these trucks to run in um, one overdrive and, you know, a 0.86. So, you know, it used to be, we could spec a lot of trucks pretty close to the same way. Now we are all over the board. So when you hear one call, you almost can never apply that to another call or another truck. Basically what you're looking at with this truck is 264s is kind of where we always fall. If you want to be able to run the truck in direct but then with the 10 speed, now your 10th gear becomes too tall to really run very often. You know, you're either going to use it when you're empty or when you really need to make a lot of time. So you, you almost end up with a nine speed instead of a 10 speed. You want me to save you $2,000 right now? What's that? 
You want me to save you two thousand dollars right now? Tell me, Bruce. Don't put the manifold on. <laughs> it's already on. <laughs> you made a mistake. Why do you say? Why do you say that? There's no flow bench there. I'm not going to say anything else. You didn't do your homework, but that's okay. It's called buy right and cry once. <laughs> You'll be calling us and saying, I didn't gain any fuel mileage. You'll gain power, but you won't gain fuel mileage. But anyway, that's it. Yeah, the same same answer on this truck. I, I would deal with whatever rear-end gears you have right now. Um, I, I will tell you, I've had several Series 60s with 390 gears, and if you're willing to run 55 to about 63 or so, you can get awesome fuel economy with that engine and a 390. And I have been running slow whenever I have a heavy load on them. Yeah. I'm like 57 miles an hour. Yeah, that, that, that's actually, you know, when we hear 390s these days, it sounds horrible. But with that engine, and if you're willing to drive, like I said, under 65, you'll get good fuel economy out of it. All righty. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's, uh, we're going to take one more call, and then we're going to wrap this up, and then we're going to take a short break, maybe 10 minutes and we will come back with the pit right after this. We are going to finish up today in Wisconsin. Eric, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. So um, I had a, uh, a 2012 Freightliner Columbia glider. Um, which for power, was fortunate enough to get it in there for an out-of-frame. And we went with a three-quarter block. Detroit on that one, and boy, am I regretting not just Pittsburgh do all the work and and sending anything back to Detroit because I had nothing but problems with this thing, and they're all stemming the manufacturer issues, most on the injectors and so forth. Last week we had a number four Jake plunger break start pounding into the number four rocker arm setting and so I ruined the rocker arm I had pieces down the oil pan and uh, the main reason I brought it in is I thought I had an injector failing because I had 7% fuel dilution well then they put dye in the fuel couldn't find any uh, injector issues they did replace my number four rocker arm didn't find any wear or anything on the bearings or or uh, anything else, just the, the rocker area, the housing there, and, and the plunger. But my question today is around fuel economy. That has not changed. Even with the warm weather, we run the same. So it's just myself and my stepdad. He runs the freighter. I've got a Lax Force 413 in here, and I see him by a mile per gallon with this truck running at 62, 77,000 pounds gross. So our route is northern Wisconsin in D.C. and back. And at first, I thought it was a charge air cooler. We checked that. In fact, the guys did a Hawkeye report before we decided to pull it into an hour frame. So generally, uh, you know, I, I know I've got another driver in there because he's family, and, and I can see everything that he's doing. I, I know he's not lying to me. 
I know I can drive it better than him, but I know I can't get more than than a half mile per gallon better than him. Uh, the best I've been able to do with that thing with a really light load is about 8.2. And that's feathering. When I'm on the level, I'm getting seven to eight. I'm running about seven pounds of boost on the level. Um, so I'm just, I'm wondering what, what your thoughts are, guys. You're getting 8.2 mile per gallon? Uh, no, we're, that, that, that is really on a damn good day. Um, we are averaging 6.7. And again, we're, we're, we're usually 77 to 79,000 pounds everywhere we go, but it's that, that corridor from south of DC to northern Wisconsin, maybe, maybe eastern Minnesota, roughly the same lane all the time. We'll, we'll take the turnpike all the way across Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania to try to, keep those real top poles out of it, maybe level it out a little bit. And boy, I don't even know if it's worth 350 bucks to do that. It's the, what kind are you pulling a van trailer? Yeah. Yeah. It's a 53 foot dry van. We got skirts on the side. Um, what's, what's the gap between the back of the bunk and the front of the trailer? How many inches? 10 to 10 to 12. I got it on both of these trucks. I got it pretty tight. It's rolled all the way up. So she's saying, okay. Hmm. Well, the only thing I can really there. think of, guys, is that, that, that the tires on it that it came with on the drive, trying to promote those are Yokohama Super Steel. They seem to wear really well, but I don't think they get any very good fuel economy. But I can't imagine that that would keep me kind of pinned down at an average of 6.7, you know, especially when you're really trying to work at it. Then my stepdad really works at it once in a while. I go, man, I didn't even get seven miles a gallon, and I wasn't really doing more than 10 pounds of boost the entire time. And I can tell when I go back and look at his drive time for that trip, and he's averaging 46, 48 miles an hour. You know, I, I, May have missed a couple things here. So, um, have we checked this truck for boost leaks? Yeah. So initially, yes. it, it was checked on a on a Hawkeye before we even started to do. Okay. Um. It, you know, it, it probably does need to get back in there, and and I, I do have to say this. Uh, just going back a couple calls ago, and Bruce had mentioned that. About knowing where, what's been done to your engine and so forth. I greatly appreciate everything. I've had a lot of work done out there on both my ProStar and, and the Freightliner. All of your employees, your associates, are absolutely top-notch. I dealt with Brian on the rebuild. I deal with Eric many times in trying to get some guidance dealing with these Freightliner dealerships. And it's just absolutely fantastic, which is why... Oh, see, he uh-huh. was he was talking good about us, and we lost him. Eric, you still there? <laughs> huh. I hate when that there happens. There was nothing left to say, you know? I know. I hate Play when that Eric? Eric? Oh, boy, did I hit a low spot there. Oh, there you are. Okay. You're back. 
Oh, nope. Now we lost him. We lost him completely. So we are going to wrap this up. Uh, great show today. Thanks, as always, to the team from Pittsburgh Power, Bruce and Pete and Leroy. Anything you guys want to close with? Well, Kevin, when he was talking about the, the three-quarter engine that, that we put in, um, the reason we're going that direction, we're simply finding that the these detritus just wore out. And we don't really have much of a choice. The, the deck surface is beyond you know, being resurfaced. Uh, worse than that, the lower packing area, it's the, the lower part of the block where the liner O-rings uh, rub against it, and they're just wearing out there. So unfortunately, with these older Detroits, even though they are great engines, we're, we're just seeing their, their life is done. Yeah. And that's why with a three-quarter engine, you end up getting a new block, and, and we're kind of forced to go that direction. Uh, you simply can't find good 12-7 blocks out there anymore. You know, I, I, and you can't buy a twelve-seven block new you know, and start from there. Unfortunately, right. what's a shame about this? This isn't the first time this has happened. We put a, um, a reman, Detroit reman. I don't know if it was a three-quarter. I think it was a three-quarter in Steve Crone's truck, and uh, he had similar issues, and we had to take it out and put another one in. And he fought and fought with Detroit over it. Um, you know, we. We've been through this several times when we were building so many gliders with 12.7s. We ran into all kinds of issues. I, I, as, as much as I love that engine, and I absolutely do, I think if I were going out looking for that late 90s, early 2000 pre-emission truck or a glider, or I, I honestly think I would look really, really hard to find an N14 now instead. They're definitely a lot more rebuildable. Yeah. We, we seldom have to pull an N14 out because of the deck surface or the lower packing or anything like that. Um, you can definitely in-frame them quite a bit more. And if we do have to pull them out to get them decked in line board, you're back to square one, and the block's just as good as it was when it was new. Yeah. Comes did a pretty good job keeping them pretty beefy. Yep. Yep. All right. We're going to wrap this up. Um Thanks, you guys, and we will see you back here again next week. I'm going to take a short break. We're going to come back with the pit, so stay tuned for that. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. <laughs>